Hello, and welcome back to Character Concerns, the podcast I started because sports went away for a while and I was the only person left in America without his own podcast. We are here once again to discuss a classic TV character. This time we're traveling west of Westeros, where all the maps stop just to see what's there, in order to talk about everyone's favorite faceless woman, Arya Stark. Here with me to do just that is a man who can't sleep until he says all the names on his list. It's Sean Wagner McGuff. Sean, how's it going, buddy? Good. Um, I will just point out, though, I do not have a podcast, but I do have a newsletter about movies. Um, and that is how I'm spending my time during quarantine, staying up on Sunday nights until four in the morning. Uh, so I can send out the newsletter at four in the morning. I feel like Pick Six counts, like, at least in part as your podcast. I know Brinson hosts it, but, like, the, it's the Super Friends' podcast, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want that label because then Brinson could end up, you know, siphoning off duties to be Breach and Ryan. I would prefer it to be Will Brinson's podcast because I do not want to have to host it every single day or eight times a week, I think he's up to. So I'm happy to just be a guest, but you're right. Uh, and now we have to do those friggin' video shows. Um, so, you know, I am I'm, I'm pr- plenty busy doing podcasts, I guess. Don't act like you don't want to be a TV star. <laughs> well, everybody knows... <laughs> anyway, usually I start these by asking um, the guests to talk about, you know, why they picked the specific character. But this time I picked it. I was just like, you're going to come on to talk about Aria because we've had enough conversations in Slack or in person or anywhere else about Aria Stark. But I guess I already knew that you would be a good person to talk to about about her because I know she's one of your favorite characters, not just in Game of Thrones, but in anything. So I suppose instead of asking why you picked her, I'll just ask why that is. What is it that you like about Arya as a character that made you so interested in her? Yeah, and I would say she is probably, if not my favorite TV character, in an exclusive group of like three, like Kevin Garvey from The Leftovers, uh, Philip Jennings from The Americans, a show I know that you love, Um, and then Arya. That's just in terms of TV characters. Those are probably my three like the Holy Trinity. So, I mean, it didn't take me long. And I imagine most people who like Game of Thrones, most people who like Game of Thrones tend to gravitate towards Arya with good reason. I I don't think it took me long. I, my experience watching Game of Thrones was actually kind of interesting. I did not watch the first season live. um, And I was a freshman in college when in between season one and two. And I remember I was just bored in my dorm room at night. And I knew that my dad and my, oldest older sister both watched the show um live when it came out and i thought it was kind of looked kind of stupid but i knew they both really liked it so i was like okay i'll give it a try and i was pretty much instantly hooked from the moment uh jamie pushed bran out the window um and like the pilot can be a little bit confusing to follow um but as soon as he did that i was pretty much hooked and i pretty much binged that first season which happened to coincide with the release of season two so i timed it perfectly and then between season two and three i read all the books um, so that was kind of my introduction to the to the show. I guess the funny thing I should add is when I was a kid and I used to go on a lot of family vacations, my dad used to always read fantasy books and I used to make fun of him calling them his dragon books. And like my mom got a kick out of it and I would just tease him anytime on the airplane he got out his dragon book. Turns out they were a song of ice and fire. So my dad ahead of his time and now I'm the one obsessed with it. So I apologize to my dad. But the first episode, I think, does such a good job of establishing her character and making her so easy to root for. I mean, the first time I want to say we see her, she is knitting um, with Sansa. Um, and then next next thing you know, she's outside and shooting the bow and arrow over Bran's head into the bullseye. And she, to me, she was like the underdog character, right? Like everyone likes Matt Saracen from, from Friday Night Lights. She, in a way, was the Matt Saracen, at least right away, for Game of Thrones. It's a show about 
insiders, you know, we don't really see the common people necessarily, or if we do see them, they're not actually really characters. We're seeing only like the highborn people. But within that framework, she felt like an outsider because she did not want to adhere to the traditions or the structure of that world. And she, and she rebelled against it. And for me, someone who likes Star Wars and, you know, especially tends to gravitate towards a lot of the female characters in Star Wars from Rey to Jin to Leia, that she was just right away my favorite and it did not take long for her to become my favorite. Yeah, I think that experience for people who watched Game of Thrones, whether they binged it or whether they started right away or even whether they read the books is very similar. Like in season one, everybody's favorite characters were like Arya, Tyrion, and Drogo. Like (laughs) that was basically everybody that I talked to about it was all had the same favorite characters. It's just like they do such a good job of establishing them and all in different ways too. Like Tyrion is sort of the outcast of his particular family, but he makes up for, you know, his lack of stature and the fact that everybody in his family hates him in, in such interesting ways. He's so good with his words and he's so smart. And that, that came across pretty much right away. And Arya, granted, she's not an outcast within her family, but certainly she's the one member of the family that seems to be bucking against the traditions. Like you said, like, you know, Rob is very clearly like his father's heir. Sansa very much wants to be like a princess or a queen or whatever it is. And then, uh, you know, Rickon is too young and Bran is still young, but he's like, you know, I want to be, you know, a warrior or a soldier or a knight or whatever. And Arya is the one that just like doesn't fit into that kind of mold. And that kind of character is so interesting when it comes from a family full of people that have clearly been fitting the mold for a long time. Like the Starks obviously are a, you know, a great house, they call it, or a historic house, whatever you want to call it. Like, so she was just very easy to like right away. And I actually experienced it similar to you. I binged season one in between seasons one and two. Um, I did not read the books, but I actually bought one in the airport one time, but it was after I'd already watched like the first three or four seasons. And I started reading the first book and I was like, I've already seen this on screen and just like, it doesn't give you the same feeling when you're reading something and you've already seen it. That's why I like to read the books before I watch something. Mm-hmm. I feel like once you watch something, going back and reading it, it's just not as visceral because you've already seen it, um, you know, played out. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, uh I was lucky that I had only seen the first two seasons when I read all the books. And the first book was the hardest one to get through by far, because when you talk about the shows in the book, the first book is like by far the most verbatim translated to screen. Mm -hmm. And as the books go on and as the show goes on, there start to be more differences because the book keeps on adding so many more characters and the show just clearly could not do it. That's something they even struggled with at the end with, even though they had a a smaller cast than the books did to wrap up all these arcs. Um, but the I'll say this about the books. Arya is a point of view character, and that won't come as a surprise to people who haven't read the books. But what is surprising when you do read the books is all of these characters aren't point of view characters. Like Rob is not a point of view character. Whenever you see Rob in the books, it's usually through Cat because Cat is one of the point of view characters. Um, so I, Arya was clearly an emphasized character, and look, she means so much to the series that it, it was always famously came out after the show was being made. And once people realized after Ned's death that anyone could be killed, um, that George R. R. Mar- Mar- George R. R. Martin's wife um, told him that like she would leave him if she kill- if he killed off Arya. So he- she he- she was a favorite of George R. R. Martin's wife, and that always felt like to me like some some armor for her because I was always concerned she might die. Um, that is up until the final season when I I actually did think they were going to kill her. But um, I think the nice thing about with Arya is that we got to see her journey from a kid because she starts so incredibly young 
to her becoming a woman and an adult. And that was such a rewarding experience. And say what you want about the final season. This probably isn't the uh, platform to talk about the final season, um, considering I'm probably more, I'm significantly more sympathetic about it than other people. But I do think something people can agree on in terms of like the character arcs, Arya's was probably handled better than most of them in that final season. And I would say all of them, like she's the only one that seems like she gets like a fully realized start to finish arc that in the eighth season follows the same as you would have expected from the first seven seasons. Everybody else goes off of a little path, at least a little bit. Yeah, I, I think Sansa is the only one you could put in there potentially with Arya. But I, I, no, I agree with you. And it's so rewarding to watch someone and be invested at them, you know, eight years ago, right? And to watch their arc, you know, not, not necessarily come full circle, but become that complete. And like, I remember the, uh, the long night when she kills the night king like Mm -hmm. that to me even though i had some flaws i thought there were some flaws with the episode like that was just such a rewarding experience in a lot of ways it was like when you root for a player or a team and like you're invested in them in like the draft process right and you think they're going to be good and like watching them win a super bowl or whatever it is or an nba you know finals mvp or whatever it is it it feels so rewarding because you were in at the ground floor. And I think that's what so many people felt with Arya. And I remember the reaction on Twitter when she did kill the Night King very much felt like a sporting event with everyone celebrating it because we had watched her want to become this, this fighter and to watch her become the fighter and then get the most important kill in the history of the show was such a rewarding experience. Yes, that absolutely was like, you know, her hitting like the Ray Allen shot in the corner against the Spurs or throwing that Mahomes pass to Tyree Kill this year was like the culmination of everything that she had been striving for for all eight seasons. And realistically, I guess it was like, you know, at least 10 years because there was like a two year break or whatever between season seven and season eight. And like, I think something you mentioned earlier about, you know, anyone can be killed. And obviously that's driven home with Ned in the season one finale. And she's like watching it. And that's sort of what drives it home for her. And then I think it's two seasons later, or maybe it's two when she winds up being Tywin's uh, Mm -hmm. cupbearer. And she flat out tells him like, anyone can be killed. Right. <laughs> um, and then obviously he, he already believed that, but you know, he puts that into very stark reality, no pun intended when he then, you know, obviously sets in motion the red wedding and it like really drives home how right Arya was about the fact that anyone can be killed. And she was talking about her brother at the time. And that's obviously who Tywin, you know, organizes or orchestrates the vulgar, I guess, execution of. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Certainly, she is a great character. She's my favorite character on the show. I know she's your favorite character on the show. I'm sure a lot of people, her favorite character on the show. And just like, if you asked me to list reasons, there would probably be like a thousand. Like, (laughs) I'm I'm looking at the document I have in front of me right now. Like, we're going to go through all the categories here. And all of the bests are so much longer than the worsts, just because she's she's such a great character. But I am curious what (laughs) you settled on when it came to just the defining trait of her character. Because the way I thought about it, it's like she becomes essentially a completely different character after season one, even though she does want to be the same kind of person. Just the way her goals and the way she thinks about the world changes so much, you know, justifiably because she sees her father beheaded right in front of her. But that's why I'm sort of curious what you ended up with in in terms of her defining trait. Ugh. Yeah, so I wrote down four words, which were stubbornness, bravery, loyalty, and faith. Um, and I, I think faith is what I landed on. And I don't mean that like faith in religion or other people, uh, mm-hmm. but herself. Because I think 
to have that type of arc that she ended up having, you have to have tremendous belief in yourself and, you know, to get on that boat, to sail away from the only home you've ever known alone as a kid, to go try to find these faceless men that you've heard about, but don't really even know, you know, how they exist outside of that one person, I think takes a tremendous amount of faith. And then in the midst of that journey of learning how to become a killer, to refuse to do what they want you to do and to leave them behind and to come back to a world that you're familiar with, but has changed dramatically since you were last there. And she certainly is very much aware that the Stark name doesn't mean what it used to be. I think takes a tremendous amount of faith to think that she could become the cold blooded killer that she ended up becoming takes a lot of faith. So that was the word I stumbled upon, but I think you're right. It's hard to narrow it down to one thing. There are so many other traits that, you know, fall under faith. And I think bravery and loyalty are the two and stubbornness. And I think that's actually why I relate to her so much is I think I'm a pretty stubborn person. Like if I want something and I don't get it, I keep on trying until I get it. Uh, and you know, you can ask any of my friends, like the, the only thing I care about usually with, you know, people who are close to me is loyalty. And I think she has that to her family and she doesn't have it to anyone else. Um, but she does have loyalty to her family. And that's, I think those three traits are why I uh, relate to her so much. She definitely has loyalty to her family. They sort of drive that home in season eight when they're all talking like at the the big tree about, you know, whether John should really be loyal to Daenerys. And she's like, you're my family. And obviously he sort of is, I guess, technically like yeah. cousin instead of half brother. But the it's interesting that you settled on stubbornness as part of that, too, because I took that trait and sort of flipped it into a positive and, and I came down on focus being a defining trait like basically once she starts on the road with i can't remember the guy's name but the guy who's like taking her to the night's watch to get away from king's landing basically all she cares about for the entire rest of the series is killing everybody on her lists you know specifically at first joffrey and cersei and then just cersei eventually because you know mm -hmm. she doesn't get to be the one that kills joffrey but he obviously dies so that sort of single-minded focus drives every single thing that she does throughout the rest of the series there's nothing that she does that isn't related to that in some way even like going to the house of black and white to become you know a faceless woman it's all about using that to serve the goal of killing all of the people on her list you know even when she's you know riding around with the hound and she sees the guy who was you know the one that killed her friend that was traveling to the night's watch with her you know she makes him come off of his course so they can go kill that guy because he's on her list you know so basically that was where I came down because you, you almost can't define what her character is is all about in season one because it's just like butting up against what is expected of her, I guess. Mm -hmm. But then after that, it completely flips. Like it's not about anybody's expectations. It's just about this one thing she wants to do. So so it's funny you say that because um, I actually, at, at some point during season eight, before before the the big battle at Winterfell episode, I actually wrote something on Medium about Arya's character, and I never published it. But uh, what's funny, I was I was just looking through what I wrote. It was like way too long, and that's why I didn't publish mm -hmm. it. Um, it it's funny that you say like after season one, that's when her character sets in motion. And what I was writing at the time was that you know the Ned Stark execution is obviously a tragedy. Um, in the truest word of the sense, but for her, it was in in a way an opportunity at the same time because that's the exact moment her status began to shift away from the highborn girl who's on track to become a lady of a castle to being able to have you know the opportunity to become a ruthless and cunning killer. Um, and you know she becomes a nomad and she ends up meeting 
all these people along the way that end up shaping her journey that she learns all these lessons from, whether it be the hound and whether how cruel the world is and how that's the only way you have to, you should be able to view the world is through that lens of people are terrible and you only have to act in your own self-interest. So it's interesting that such a terrible tragedy to happen to her was really the opportunity that gave her the chance to become who she always wanted to. I'm really glad that you brought up the fact that she learns from so many different people, just because that sort of helps transition into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, like her best characteristics. Like one of the ones that stood out for me was just that she is very willing to learn from whoever she's with. You know, she learns a lot from the Hound. She learns from Brienne. She learns from Jacken. She learns from the Waif. She learns from trying to think who else. Um, Obviously, she learns from Rob and John and Ned and Kat in the beginning. Uh, She learns from Sirio. She like that's all she does throughout the entire series until basically, you know, the end of season seven, season eight, when she has now acquired all of these skills and really just goes and puts them to use to defend what's left of her family. So that was sort of one of the the things that stood out to me as being one of her best characteristics. You know, I had a bunch of others, like obviously she's very tough, very strong, very smart. She's great with a sword, a knife, and any other weapon. Um, she can be very funny and she's focused, determined, and refuses to give up on pretty much anything. Whatever, what do you have here? Yeah. And look, I, I know we already talked about loyalty, but something you said a couple of minutes ago uh, reminded me of another instance of loyalty. I, when I say loyalty to family, I don't mean just the Stark name. Uh, because you remember when Gendry tells her that he wants to join the Brotherhood, he she has that you know really great line about you, like I can be your family mm-hmm. because she she's heartbroken that he would choose to leave her on this journey to join another group of people, and then when the Brotherhood turns around and sells Gendry to the Red Woman, she can't believe the Brotherhood would dare to do that. So uh, her her loyalty there kind of blinds her to the realities of the real world, which is yes, these people do look at everyone as commodities and Gendry is looking out in his own self-interest and he's realistic about the fact that he can't just follow around Arya for the rest of his life. He has to find his own home. Well, I think what's interesting about that too is eventually, obviously we know at the end of season eight, he does ask her to be his family and she says no because yes. she's got to go do what she needs to do, you know, to protect her actual family. So it sort of comes full circle there, you know, so that I think that's an interesting thing too. Did you have anything else is just like, best traits other than what I had. There's, there's so many things that we can name, but like, I'm, I'm curious if you had any specific things. I liked what you, like, I liked how you turned around stubbornness into focus. I feel like in a way we could take it one step further and call it obsession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like obsession doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like it, in a lot of ways, while you were describing her focus, it reminded me of a movie like Whiplash where like, I think if Arya sat down and watched Whiplash, she would connect to that Miles Teller character a hundred percent. She would in a lot of ways understand the JK Simmons character about needing someone to push them to that level of greatness. Cause I think she was that obsessed with becoming that great of a fighter. Yeah. I think the JK Simmons character is basically the hound. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about worst traits? What have you got there? I, I only have a few. Um, and they're just like, I'll get into them after you do yours. I wrote one and the, the, the and I will, preface this by saying by the end of the show by the complete end it's no longer a worse trait of hers uh, which is what makes the show so great i think it's a it's her lack of humanity and it's not something that's evident right away but it's something that as a result of spending so much time with tywin uh with the hound and with the faceless men that it seemed like she developed a lack of humanity and as sandor clegane in season eight called her a cold-hearted bitch and it felt like she lost at some point a part of her humanity 
when she went to become a faceless man. And that was obviously the goal of the faceless men, right? Is to strip away her identity and strip away her prior allegiances and her loyalty to her family to become this cold hearted, you know, Terminator esque killer. And, um, you know, an example of this is it's a very funny moment when the hound is trying to take her to the Eerie to sell her to Kat's um, sister and they find out that she died. And you would think, you know, this is her aunt, right? Like you would think that she wouldn't laugh, but she ends up she ends up cracking up and laughing because she thinks it's you know it's such a twist for the hound who just can't get rid of her. But that's like that's a complete lack of humanity to think about your mom's sister dying like that and laughing. Uh, but I I will say that by the end it's gone, and we can talk about that later. But like for me, like season eight, episode two, um, a night of the seven kingdoms was one of my high points of her arc because for me it was when. She, you know, over the course of the show, she went from, you know, a human to a cold blooded killer that didn't necessarily feel remorse for any of the killings that she was doing to back again to feeling some sort of humanity and becoming an actual person again, as opposed to a killing machine. So that's her worst trait for me. But it's a trait that by the end of it, she got rid of and was able to, you know, kind of reconcile with it and to balance it back into it. That's a a really good way to put it. And I actually didn't think of that. And I'm sort of mad at myself (laughs) that I didn't now. But I I, I came at it from the approach of thinking of her not just as a character, but also as like an actual person. And obviously, when you're talking about the worst traits of a person, you would say like being a mass murderer, like, (laughs) which, which obviously, she very much is like, she just kills so many people and not just like in battle, but you know, she takes out an entire house by herself and granted that was an awesome fucking moment <laughs> but definitely like you know if you're living in the world Arya Stark kind of a bad person um you know or a good person who does very bad things like uh what was that show the the one with uh Kyle Chandler and uh oh we're not bad people but we did a bad thing yeah yeah bloodline bloodline, bloodline <laughs> with Ben Mendelsohn too yeah um and then i would say also she's just like not very good at following instructions like you know when uh Jacken tells her to do all these different things she just like flat out doesn't listen and when he says you know give me three names she's like no she gives him like a 100 names you know, Ned tells her to do things that she doesn't do. Serio tells her to do things she doesn't do sometimes. Like, she's not good at following instructions. Granted, I don't care, and that's an awesome part of her character. But if you're talking about her as, like, an actual person, that's not necessarily the best trait to have. To that point, I remember, and I went and found the tweet, in 2013, so this is when I'm, like, in college, and I probably had, like, 30 Twitter followers. I tweeted, if I ever have a daughter, I want her to be just like Arya Stark. And I remember my friend, and you can't see his tweets, unfortunately, because he changed his Twitter handle, but he like replied saying, so you want your daughter to be a mass murderer? <laughs> and like, and that's to your point, like, yes, she's an awesome TV character in this world, but when you step to actually look at her as a human being, you start to realize this person is incredibly flawed. And that's why, again, to go back to season eight, in season eight, look, I defend season eight more than most people. I'm not... And, just as a quick preface, I don't say that as I don't think season eight was perfect. And it's you know, my second, my second least favorite season out of all eight seasons. So I have a lot of problems with it, but I think how they handled Arya's arc in grounding her back in humanity. And I think that's what the Gendry arc really helped her with. Uh, I think it was so brilliant because they turned her into a killing machine at one point, And at some point they had to bring her back and ground her as a human being. And they did do that. In season- yeah. I would say just like on season eight, I think the, what were there? Seven episodes, right? Six, six. Okay. So the first three, yeah, I thought were really good. And then the last three, um, you know, starting with the long night, which literally you just could not see anything. That was, that was, that was episode three. Oh, that was episode three. Okay. So then episode so, three, 
so it's interesting because I was just talking to someone about this. Because uh, pe- everyone, for the most part, if you ask most people, would say, you know, season eight sucked or whatever. And But it's funny, to your point, people weren't saying it was a bad season, I don't think, until episode four, which was the last of the Starks, which is when they kill one of the dragons, which was very improbable in how they killed him. Because Danny, like, how do they not see all the ships and all that? And it was that's when the season got very rushed. Um, but I was a little bit disappointed, too, in The Long Night when it came out because... I mean, I think the problem for me was I don't really like the battle episodes for the most part usually aren't my favorite. Like, that's not why I watched the show. Me too. But also, yeah, I was going to just quickly me too. But also the the big like battle episode, excuse me, battle episodes can be good. Like the, you know, Blackwater um, was was Blackwater was great. But everything about the way they approached that battle with the White Walkers was completely incoherent their plan made no sense everything was stupid also you just literally could not see anything on the screen it was completely ridiculous but and this is a theme of season eight and this is why people will begin to understand why i'm sympathetic about season eight when you consider how much i love Arya. the redeeming quality of of that episode is everything with Arya, right because Mm -hmm. we actually Mm -hmm. get to see her completely in action with that you know with that like two-bladed Darth Maul style, you know, staff, right? And that was awesome. And then she has that whole library sequence, which because she had that moment with Gendry, which again, I really think humanized her. And that's why it was such an important moment. I really thought they might kill her in that episode. Um, And that library sequence, I thought they might kill her. And I don't know how many times I've watched it many times, but there's a seat, there's a shot when she's escaping the library where she stabs a white Walker um, in the throat. And the way they shoot it and the way the camera jerks upward makes it look like Arya might have been the one who got stabbed. Because all you hear is the noise of a blade going into skin, and you don't know who did it. So I watched that entire episode thinking they might kill my favorite TV character ever. Um, And then to have her actually get the rewarding moment, that was the redeeming quality of the episode. Because I agree with you. That episode from start to finish, if you think about the 120 minutes of it, there are a lot of parts that I didn't care for. But... I that episode is so elevated in my mind and like my rankings of Game of Thrones episodes because they gave my favorite character all the best moments. And that alone is enough for me to rewatch it a lot of times. It's sort of like the opposite of the way a lot of people think about, you know, prestige TV episodes that they didn't like, where it's like usually it's it's like a really good episode, but they just don't like the way that it ended and that overshadows everything (laughs) else about the episode in this case like i love that Arya killed the night king and the way she did the night king and the way they foreshadowed it with the training session with brienne in the previous season right but everything that preceded that was like this is all nonsense and like i i think i spent like at least a couple days talking with people on twitter about how completely incoherent their battle plan but anyway um (laughs) i I do want to move on because i don't want us to get into an extended season eight you know was it good or was it bad i do think the first two episodes at least were really good and then it sort of went off the rails for me and i could take or leave the last few but what do you think her place in the story is and i think that this is a really interesting thing to take in connection with the next question about what characters you know in tv or movies are like her because the way i thought about the characters that are like her flew flew flowed (laughs) flowed from the way that i think of her place in the story so I kind of said this at one point earlier when we were starting, but for me, Game of Thrones is very much a show about insiders, right? Which is kind of funny because, and and that's why I never cared about necessarily, it's funny, it's a show about the throne. I never really cared about who was king and whatnot and how, 
because if you think about what matters about a king, it's about how they rule and how everyone who's living underneath them, what their way of life is, and if they have happy lives or if they're dying and all this stuff. But we never really see that perspective. Maybe we see it in passing, but none of the characters in the show are common people. And if they are common people, they're common people who actually are more important than they thought, like Gentry. And if they are common people, it's in passing, like the father and daughter Ari and the Hound stayed with and the Hound killed. And they're pretty much just used as not plot devices, but character devices. Um, their death impacts Arya and the way she looks at it. And so this is a show about complete insiders, and we rarely ever see outsiders. And Arya is an insider who feels like an outsider. And so when you think about characters that are like them, I thought Tyrion, you brought this comparison up earlier. Tyrion, to me, even though he doesn't want to fight, he needs the complete opposite, but he feels like he always has something. Yes, he is born into royalty, but he never feels like he fits. Um, and then the other character I thought of was Brienne, because Brienne also is a woman who wants to fight, and she's not accepted uh, as a fighter, because purely because she is a woman. And you think about that good episode that we're talking about in Season 8, where Arya and Gendry hook up, and while that was such a great moment for her humanity, it's, it's really interesting to me that the show goes from Arya and Gendry doing their thing, and then the next scene is Brienne getting knighted. Because for Arya, and this just occurred to me, um, she's well-respected as a fighter at that point, and what she needs is to have humanity, and that's what they give her. Brienne is kind of the opposite, right? Like, she is accepted as a fighter, uh, or sorry, so she's accepted, you know, people like her, but she's not accepted as a knight because she is a woman, and that's what that moment gives to her. And, like, watching that, I rewatched that episode this week before we did this podcast, and I was just, like, floored by the idea, like, we got those two scenes back to back like that is almost peak game of three i am actually shocked that you did not have on your list of similar characters the first character i'm about to talk about talk about because i thought for sure you were gonna have her and it's oh it's it's ray so it's on my list but go ahead yeah i mean like even before you account for the fact that we find out in the most recent movie that like She's actually a Palpatine and maybe a Skywalker. Like, so she actually is part of like royal blood and becomes, you know, a respected fighter that nobody necessarily expected her to be. Even before that, I think they're sort of positioned very similarly within the story where there are these people that nobody necessarily expect to, you know, rise to a position of power. And then obviously they do become one of the most important characters. And I think by the end, they are each the most important character in the story. And that's sort of where I came up with the other character that I had similar to her, which was Peggy Olsen from Mad Men. Um, I think that obviously Mad Men ostensibly is telling the story of, you know, Don Draper's life and time in the in the the 60s and his journey through the ad industry. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at it from the perspective of Peggy, she actually has the much more interesting and meaningful journey. And I think that the journey she goes on is obviously, you know, very similar to Aria also. Like, you know, she does start out working at, you know, a very important place at Sterling Cooper, but she starts out off to the side and is not necessarily someone that people expect to become important in any way. But obviously she does become, you know, arguably the most important person at the entire agency just based on her ideas and the way she works and eventually she leaves and goes elsewhere and learns more and then she comes back and she's an even you know stronger force than she was and then eventually she joins you know the big company and is like you know uh, very much they imply at least on her way to becoming you know a big success in the ad industry throughout the 70s and you know she also finds stan as her sort of lover at the end um and i 
I think if you just look at it, Arya essentially has basically the same journey. And it's like these characters that are positioned, not necessarily as supporting characters, like they're definitely main characters, but they're not being sold as the hero of the story. Like Don Draper is sold mm-hmm. throughout Mad Men as sort of the, not necessarily the hero, but the anti-hero. And, you know, Jon Snow obviously is sold as the hero mm-hmm. or, you know, for a time, Danny is sold as the hero throughout the story. But in the end, I think it's really Arya. Like she kills the Night King and she's the one that, you know, reestablishes the strength of her family and is going to, you know, go discover all the world's West. So Peggy to me really stood out as someone that's similar to her. So not getting into the Mad Men. So the funny thing is, you know how you feel about the Americans? That's exactly how I feel about Mad Men. And so I've never watched Mad Men because I couldn't get through the first few episodes. Oh, wow. And, okay. And so it's a show that I plan on watching at some point because everyone loves it. But I've tried it once and I got kind of bored. And I know you feel the same way about the Americans because we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But I did want to go back to the to the Ray point. I wrote down Ray. And I wrote down also Jin Erso. Um, and look, mm. it's not surprising to me that I gravitate towards Rey um, and Jid when I gravitate towards Arya. Like, there's clearly a character type that I gravitate towards. And I'm thinking about Rey specifically and some of her most memorable quotes probably after The Force Awakens. And, like, there's I need someone to show me my place in all of this, which she says to Luke. And that is a line that very well could apply to Arya because she wants to learn how to fight, but she needs a teacher. And that's the other line is I need a teacher. And Kylo says that to her in The First Awakens as well. And so I, I think there's also a reason why I probably am higher on The Rise of Skywalker than you are, I imagine. Like, it's not anywhere close to one of my favorite Star Wars movies, but I actually liked it. And the reason I, I liked it is I thought everything with Rey, it, look, I understand if you don't like the Palpatine stuff, I would have rather she stayed uh, no one, which also would have been fitting for Arya. Um, <laughs> but I, I did like it because I thought everything with Rey worked for me and everything landed with me. And she was the character I was invested with. And if you apply that to Game of Thrones, I like season eight because everything with Arya worked for me. Yeah, I would say like I liked Rise of Skywalker fine. I just think it could have been so much better yeah, if they yeah, were yeah. like clearer, I guess, about establishing motivations for things as opposed to just this is what's happening. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think that there were a lot of ways that it could have been significantly better. Like yes. all I really want from Star Wars movies or even from Game of Thrones is to be entertained and I was entertained throughout the movie, but I think they they took a lot of shortcuts and they took a mm-hmm. lot of yeah. the emotional resonance out like when Ray accidentally shot off the force lightning and mm-hmm. I thought Chewie was dead, I was like, "Oh Holy my god, shit. like they are really going for it here." And then within 2 minutes I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not going to like this as much as I yeah. thought I was yeah. going to." Yeah. Um, yes. So anyway, I had the exact same I, experience by the way. Yeah. I think we're about to probably double the length of the podcast right here because we're going to talk about Arya's best moments. Oh, Jesus. And I have <laughs> so many. Like, <laughs> so I, I just want to get a couple out of the way because they're not necessarily um, specific moments, but I think we could just tick them off. Like every single second that she's with the Hound, every scene that she's with Tywin, and yeah. the scene you mentioned earlier, the laugh outside of the Eyrie when they tell her that her aunt is dead. And she just like completely cracks up because of what's going on with the hound and he can't get rid of her. So those were three I had just off the top that we can just sort of, these are great, and then toss to the side and then let's go through the rest of them. Yeah, and I, I oh, I think one reason why Arya was such a lovable character and, you know, no disrespect to Maisie Williams and, and Arya as a solo character, which clearly works because we see her alone a lot, but she was just in tremendous pairings, you know? 
like mm-hmm. putting her with Tywin, and I think it speaks to Maisie Williams' acting chops that, you know, at whatever age she was in season two, pretty young, the fact that she was able to hang with Charles Dance, right, in those scenes one on one was pretty remarkable. And then putting her with the Hound was like, you know, you could almost sell a spinoff buddy cop show on those two. Mm-hmm. And and from the hound is where she learned we talk about we've talked so much about her lack of humanity at certain parts in especially the middle seasons of the show till the end she really learned that from the hound and as much as they hated each other um i think she learned probably the most from him probably even more than she learned from the faceless men which she learned a lot from the faceless men but we never really got to see how so much of the faceless and magic worked where there's no magic involved with what the hound was selling Arya, and it took her a while to buy into it but i talked about you know a, a pretty big moment for me is when they do stay with those two common people again because we don't ever get to see these kinds of people the you know the everyday schmucks who are just trying to live day to day you know grow their food and whatnot and survive and when she finds out that he kills them you know she is she's blown away that he could do that and, and not in a good way and i think that kind of informed her development and she became that ruthless killer in part because she watched the hound for how for what two seasons two full seasons or maybe mm-hmm. yeah somewhere around there um be that cold-blooded killer so i think she learned the most probably from the hound i think she did i think it's it's also like you could differentiate what she learned from the hound from what she learned from you know Sirio and from what she learned from jack and then the rest of the faceless men and that you know Sirio and the faceless men taught her her fighting style and she sort of merged the two together the hound you know and you've mentioned it a bunch of times essentially taught her the worldview that she takes over from you know season four and beyond Mm -hmm. up until that you know the basically the last couple episodes of season eight you know before that she has one worldview but he rubs off on her very very strongly and you know you mentioned the line earlier like when the hound calls her a cold-hearted bitch like that's you realize that she has become the person just in terms of you know her worldview and the way she approaches all the the interactions in her life she learned so much from him just in terms of that and then obviously the you take that with the fighting style that she learned from from Sirio and from the faceless men and all the magic she's because of them that's sort of the person that she is from you know season five to eight you know for the entire second half of the show um it- this, this I is, do have. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. This is. I know we're already running long, but this will be a quick tangent. I, I, I'm, I'm curious what your answer will be because I know my answer is. If you could have rewrote the show and had Arya paired with one other, you know, main character, who'd you pick for like an extended period of time? You yeah, mean? yeah, yeah. Just like having a season of like Arya as like Arya Tyrant, Arya the Hound. If you could pick one more of those pairings with Arya, who would you pick? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is Tyrion because it's another one of the best actors on the show i'm trying to think if there's anybody that would be more not necessarily more interesting but just as interesting but not as obvious like i feel like the obvious answer would be like oh my god if they had Tyrion and Arya together <laughs> for an entire season like that just would have been amazing but I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anybody that is less obvious but still would have been really good i feel like varus would be really yeah. interesting um I came up with that two. Just sort of off the top of my head. Go ahead. One is incredibly obvious, Brienne. Like having Arya train with Brienne instead of going to like, like this is and this is one that would have been plausible, right? If she doesn't run from Brienne when Brienne is fighting the Hound, if she just mm-hmm. went with her. And I understand her character had plenty of reasons not to trust anyone um, at that point and wanting to be alone. But I think her learning from Brienne said the faceless men also would have been a fascinating arc. Um, I don't know if it would have worked because obviously Arya's is a much smaller person and i don't think 
Brienne's fighting style would have meshed with Arya's. Um, <laughs> the other one, and this wouldn't be plausible at all because one of them would have killed the other one. But I actually think if Arya had spent time with Cersei, she would have like been able to develop a like a level of respect for her. Not like she still would have hated her, but just to see how ruthless and cold blooded she is. If Arya had met her post her interactions with the Hound. I think that would have been made for some fascinating scenes that they had been forced to interact without being you know, able to kill each other. See, I think that after spending time with Tywin and seeing what kind of tactician uh, he is, if she had spent time with Cersei, she would have <laughs> maybe had less respect because Cersei was a terrible tactician uh, who was just acting in complete self-interest at all times. And she would have been like, you have no idea what you're doing as as tywin as tywin said she's not as smart as she thinks she right i do think it would have been awesome just in terms of like the acting battles that they would have had and i think that would have been really cool to see but i i don't necessarily agree that she would have had you know like a a begrudging respect for for cersei i do have a few more um moments that i want to tick off here though yes um one is one is more just like a like a a view, I guess, or a, a snapshot. Like when she's standing on the front of that ship sailing or the back mm-hmm. of the ship sailing to Bravos at the end of that season, that's just an unbelievable shot of her. And it's just incredible. Um, when she finally leaves the house of black and white, just the, the line she has when, you know, Jack and's like a girl is finally no one. She's like a girl is Arya Stark and I'm going home. Like the changing from first and third person. Yeah. Changing from first to third person. Like you just said, like, that she is finally admitting that she's not a faceless person and she's finally, you know, going back to, to really where she should be and, you know, turning things around on him. And just the way Maisie Williams delivers the line is unbelievable. Everything about that is great. Um, another one, when she repeats the, uh, the toothpick line to the guy that killed mm-hmm. uh, her friend Lamy when they were traveling to the wall. Um, she just repeats that right back in his face. And the, the moment that he realizes who she is, she sticks the knife through his throat. Um, that's a great moment. And then um, her reun- her uh, reunions with both Sansa and John, and then the moment that she rips off the face to kill Walder. Frey. You won't find me disagreeing with any of those moments. I mean, the end of season four to me, that is one of my all time like spine tingling moments that you get because you actually eat. That's because Arya for you know as much as I liked her pair with the Hound. I was ready for it to end. I was just ready for her to enter the next phase because she couldn't just walk around Westeros for her entire character arc, right? She needed <laughs> to go do something. And so that felt, for me, felt like, oh my God, like this is where Arya's journey is taking us. And, I, and I'd known because I'd read the books. So I was really excited and waiting for that to happen and watching it happen on the big screen. And also, it's funny because we, we compared Arya, both of us, Arya to Tyrion. And that's also the exact moment Tyrion is heading east. To a different continent. So I think it's interesting that both of their arcs are mirrored in that perspective and they come back at roughly the same time as well. The moments I had written down that you didn't mention, all, and a lot of these are really obvious. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest, like, in terms of like spine tingling thing with Arya I'd ever. I ever saw on the show was the intro to season seven um, when they don't start with a song and you're expecting them to start with a song because this was not a show that did the cold open very often. Like, there's only. I think it only did it. Like a couple other times, like the one where Tywin is breaking down the sword into two swords was one of them. And the first um, episode as well, the pilot. Mm-hmm. And then the the other one was when they revealed the Hound was still alive. Right. Um, but yes, so they don't do this very often. And it was shot, I mean, and this is when, when people say like, 
you know, the showrunners had no idea what they were doing once they ran out of book material. This is where I always push back because I thought season six A is probably my favorite season, and I don't think that's like a mainstream opinion, but I think a lot of people would rank season six pretty high. And then you think they had so many incredible moments in season seven, and to open with Walder Frey, who we know had died from Arya, as you just talked about. Um, mm-hmm. At first, you think it's it might be a flashback, right? You might think they might be doing this is you know before he died, and then obviously as that scene's unfolding before he whips off the mask and it's be Arya, you you figure out what's going to happen. But that little smirk she gives as she's walking away with like a massacre around her, uh, and then the, it goes into the into the song, the Game of Thrones, you know, opening credits. I th- it was spectacular because you're waiting a year right for this new season and for it to start like that I thought it was incredible and I think I remember listening to the showrunners talk about it they didn't plan on that being a cold open it wasn't until they shot it and and they saw it they were like we have to start it like this and so and that was just such a rewarding moment just like killing Walder because you think about so much had been going wrong for the Starks and for Arya and the fact that with the Red Wedding she was there and so close to reuniting with her family to only have them, you know, be brutally murdered and betrayed to have her get that moment um, of catharsis in injustice and revenge was so important to me. Um, look, I mean, obviously killing the night King was on my list. The library scene, I, we already talked about that. Uh, so I have two understated moments as well. The first is the red wedding. And I know most people don't think about the red w- wedding as an Arya moment. It's very much a cat, um, and a Rob moment. But I experienced the Red Wedding for the first time as a book reader. And as I said, the book is told in every chapter is told by a different point of view. So like throughout the course of a book, you might get seven Aria chapters, right? And you might in between have to wait 100 pages for a chapter. And Rob is not a point of view character. So the way the Red Wedding is told in the books is it's told from Kat's perspective at the beginning where the killing all starts. And then they stop it. And then they go to Arya, who this entire time you're reading this book, you're thinking, oh my god, Arya's finally going to reunite with her mom and her brother, and this is the moment we need two books for. And it ends like it did in the show, with the hound hitting her in the back of the head and knocking her out and carrying her away. Except the last sentence, I wish I had the book, I don't have the book on me. The last sentence of the Arya chapter is something, you know, not verbatim, paraphrasing. She didn't even feel the axe catch her in the back of the head. You don't know who did it because you're not tracking the hound. So, and then it cuts back to Kat, who's watching Rob die, and she dies, and Rob dies, and all that. And you don't get an Arya chapter for, like, 150 pages. When I read the book, I thought Arya died. I thought I thought they killed Arya with an axe to the back of the head. And so, that moment for me was, like, I will never forget reading those three chapters in a row, and then being forced... I will admit I cheated and I scanned ahead in the book to see if there was another Arya chapter and 200 pages later because I could not deal with that. But the way that was told, that will forever be one of my favorite reading moments, thinking Arya died. And then the other moment, which you will, will be familiar with, very understated, season seven finale. It's after Sansa and Arya killed Littlefinger, a thing that was, I thought, botched by the showrunners. But they're having a conversation on the top of the Winterfell Battlements. And Arya says, in winter, we must protect ourselves, look after one another. Sansa gives that line about the pack surviving, the wolf dying. And then there's just one little moment between Arya and Sansa where Arya says, I miss him. And Sansa says, me too. And that, for me, is like peak Game of Thrones. Like, they're talking about a character in the show, and Ned, who was around for eight, nine episodes, right? 
And mm. that moment, just those two were, I miss him, me too, for me, is like one of the most poignant moments in the show. Yeah, I mean, I think they have an- another really good moment when they first reunite down by his statue in the crypts. And she, mm-hmm. um, I think it's... Sansa says it doesn't look like him, and Arya says everyone who knew what he looked like is dead. It may be the other way around, but yeah, that's sort of around. a similar kind of moment where you know they have like this bonding session, obviously about a character who, again, has not been alive for essentially six seasons. But I'm glad you brought up the plan with Arya and Sansa and Littlefinger, because that leaves me into worse moments, because everything about that plotline and them asking us to believe that they were falling for Littlefinger's plan was completely ridiculous, and I just put all of it in a bucket into worse <laughs> moments. Yeah. Um, and I also had just same thing with like everything in the house of black and white. Like you mentioned before, you were so excited when she yeah. got on that boat at the end of season four, like same thing with me, obviously. And then she spends like the better part of two seasons just stalling there. Yeah. And they like, didn't know what to do. Yeah. The, the payoff for that incredible moment at the end of season four was just not nearly Agreed. worth it based on that scene and that shot. So I had that as sort of a worse moment as well. And then just, You know, if you go back to considering her as a person, instead of just like what were the worst moments for her character, like she had to watch her father get his head chopped off by like the worst person in the entire world. So that was obviously another really bad moment for her. Not to go back for a quick second, but I do want to mention it really quick because we didn't mention it for best moments. Um, And I know mentioning this moment can make you sound kind of creepy or whatever, but I really genuinely think her moment with Gendry (laughs) when they have sex is like one of the best moments for her. And creep. (laughs) as a like show watcher like i will actually never forget watching that live because if you remember in that first episode of season eight they were flirting pretty heavy but i never thought like anything would happen i just didn't think the show would go there and it was such a humanizing moment to me that i think it was so necessary and that was the moment i was convinced they would kill her or they could kill because i felt like her arc was complete she'd come back she'd killed the phrase she'd killed the family that wronged her family there wasn't that much more for her to do i never really bought that she would be the one to kill the queen because i thought it would be a jamie type of martyrian so i was like they might kill her so i thought that moment for me was such a it like evened everything out where she could be killed and it brought her back to being a person again but going going to the worst moments and i'll stop being a creep about watching the aria sex (laughs) scene um the only thing i didn't so i don't i agree with you the killing little finger thing was really botched from a storytelling perspective it was hard for me to like dock aria for that right because it's not aria's fault um but to your point, the things in Bravos did not live up to expectations, and it was told better in the book. Although the book, the last that we know of the book is her going blind. That's where her last chapter ends. Um, but her worst moment for me was after she decides to leave the Faceless Men, and she pays the captain to leave in the morning, and then she's just wandering around Bravos, not acting like the Waif could be there to kill her, and she gets stabbed. You know what I mean? Like that just felt like. But again, it's hard to blame her. It's more just like that was so out of touch with her character. To like be admiring of you on a on a bridge in the open without being wary of your surroundings. That was a pretty bad moment. And then the other moment I have is, and that's not her fault because she was a kid and she didn't have the foresight or didn't have the ability to look into the future. Not killing Joffrey in season one um, when she was playing with the butcher's boy and uh, Nymeria came and, and bit him. Uh, that you know, if she kills Joffrey there. You know, it's kind of like killing Hitler at the beginning of World War II, and she didn't do it. I think then you also have to add in like not paying close enough attention to really understand what Varys and Illyrio were discussing (laughs) when she overheard them talking about the plan to, you know, kill the hand of the king or, and, you know, set the the Starks and the Lannisters against each other. Uh, I know she was something like seven years old or whatever at the time, 
or whatever she was supposed to be, but, right. you know, maybe have some better, not reading comprehension, but, you know, auditory comprehension. Anyway. Real quick, this isn't necessarily an Arya moment. It doesn't add to her character at all. But one of my favorite parts of season eight and a part of being an Arya fan was the bells, which is the penultimate episode where Danny burns down King's Landing. And, you know, we don't have to get into a was that moment earned discussion or not. But I thought nope. what was what, what was brilliant about that episode is they showed it through Arya's point of view so much of it, mm-hmm. right? And again, as an Arya fan, she I thought she might die in the battle for Winterfell because I thought she had achieved everything her character needed to achieve. Then you add that she killed the Night King, and I was like, she definitely might die. And the fact that they showed her as the one trying to survive uh, this... Uh, you know, in a way, like the show's version of a nuclear bomb being set off or whatever, I thought was brilliant. And that is one of the most memorable TV watching experiences. And also, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe one of the reasons why I'm more sympathetic towards the Bells as an episode, uh, because they did make me feel that fear that Arya might actually die. And I thought that was a very brilliant storytelling choice to have her be the character that we see as a way to experience Danny's devastation of that city. I don't want to get into that episode because I might <laughs> get will. really angry. Um, and I, and I uh, actually I, love that episode, so we don't need to. <laughs> oh my God. Um, okay. <laughs> let's, let's just not talk about it anymore. I will say that I did appreciate that they did show a bunch of it from Arya's point of view, but the rest of it, um, yeah, you can you can hate the way that they did the Danny's turn or whatever, but I think from a filmmaking perspective, like if you just watch the twenty minutes of oh. Arya trying to survive, it's incredible TV. It looks incredible. Uh, it is emotionally empty and does not hold not up. Not for to Arya. Really... Not for Arya though. That's what I'm saying. Um, no, I mean for for like it's a story. That story that they're telling is not about Arya. They're telling a story about Danny in that moment. And it's emotionally empty and logically incoherent. Anyway, um, <laughs> Tell me what was really the feel. moment? What was the moment that Arya became like a real character, real person for you? I have two. One of them you mentioned earlier, which is the moment that she just shoots the arrow over Bran's shoulder and is like yep. smiling and running away. And he starts chasing her like that very quickly establishes so much of who she is. And then obviously a few episodes later, when Ned says that she'll, you know, be a lady and, you know, her sons will be knights and whatnot. And she just says, that's not me and goes back to practicing. That really sort of solidifies everything about what we learned from that quick moment early in episode one. Yeah, I had both of those moments written down as well. I think it takes, for me, the first 15 minutes of that episode to already be entirely in on Arya as my favorite character. It did not take long at all. And not another moment from the pilot, which the pilot does such a good job of establishing her character, two moments from it, is when, you know, King Robert and Cersei and Jamie and all of them are pulling up in their convoy. She's not there with the rest of the stars, and she has a soldier's helmet on um, because she wants to catch a view. And <laughs> and uh, Kat's like, says to Sansa, where's your sister? And she's like, I don't know. And Sansa's really annoyed. And then she makes her way back to them. She has a helmet soldier on. And then as they're all coming out, she's like, that's the imp and all, or where's the imp? And Sansa tries to shush him, shush her. Um, and then at dinner later that night, she throws like a meatball with like a, a spoon at Sansa's face um, and just nails her completely like in the cheek or forehead. <laughs> and like, again, the pilot, that's, I was in. From that point on, I was in. We talked about some of the other moments though. I think after the Red Wedding, she stumbles upon a group of Lannisters or Frey. I can't remember who they are, but she stabs one of them. She asks for like a drink of water, I think. And then she ends up putting a needle through her throat or a dagger. Oh, sorry. It was the hound's dagger. Cause the hound's like, when'd you, where'd you get that? 
and she hands mm. it back to him. And that was like the beginning of her journey into a killer, it felt like. We talked about her going to Bravos. I thought that was a very important moment for her character. But if we're talking about the moment she became a fully formed like human being, like, I hate to go back to it. It's again, episode two of season eight and her thing with Gendry, maybe that's when I was like, they've completed her arc completely. I am fulfilled. I don't want her to die, but if she does die, I won't feel like we missed out on her character. It's interesting that you thought for so much of the final season that she was going to die. I was under the impression that she was like the one safe character. Like to me, it was her and Tyrion were making it to to the end of the story and anybody else was, it was possible they would die. And I certainly expected way more people to die than actually did. And that's obvious. We don't have to get into the problems. (laughs) But I was really never under the impression that she was going to die in the final season. So it's interesting to me that you spent so much of it sort of worried about her fate. And maybe that colors why you not necessarily enjoyed it more than me, but um, think more highly of it than me. Because, you know, something that you really did not want to happen ended up not happening. Whereas I was never under the impression it was going to happen in the first place. So much of what I did want to happen didn't happen. It was almost like if like, like two fans of like the chiefs and one of them, like this past season, one of them thinks that they could be eliminated in the playoffs, which like me and like you were sitting there and like, Oh, 24, nothing doesn't matter. Like Mahomes is plot armor. He has enough plot armor. You're right. I, I watched this very much from the perspective and it wasn't until after episode two. And like, I'm right. I just pulled up that medium thing. I never published. And it's just like, I thought um, this is a quote from Maisie Williams that she told Entertainment Weekly. It was really interesting because it's a very human relationship for Arya. This is something she stayed away from, an emotion we've never really seen her engage with. Dan and David were like, it's the end of the world. What else would you have her do? This may, this may be a moment where Arya accepts death tomorrow, which she never does, not today. So it was that moment where she says, we're probably going to die tomorrow. I want to know what this feels like before that happens. It's interesting to see Arya be a bit more human, speak more normally about things people are scared of. And that, for me, just scared me because it was like they have given her a complete arc and i think if she had died people would have been mad but when you step away and look at it you would have been like i don't feel like there's anything left for her to still do and so that's why i felt like they created this whole full character this was the time that they could rip our hearts out because there's not another so we wouldn't watch the rest of the show being like where's aria we were missing aria three more episodes well it's interesting that you just brought up the way she framed it to gendry where you know we might both die tomorrow um and she's like in terms of the what do we, what do we say to the god of death? Not today. Well, guess what? Tomorrow's not today. So it, I guess in, in theory it was possible. Um, I I do think you know if we're going to talk about one episode that you would you know say is sort of like the perfect episode to encapsulate her character. Certainly that episode, like the last episode before the long night, I think would be mm-hmm. right up there. That's just I think one of the best episodes in the history of the show, and why yes. I was so disappointed by the the second half of that season. I thought that episode was just an unbelievable episode and you know you could everything pretend that, that's the of, end you know and they just left it everyone dies yeah in essence it is sort of the end of game of thrones as we knew it right yeah and then everything after that is sort of like an epilogue um i think you know in terms of other episodes the that one we talked about earlier the one where she tells tywin that anyone can be killed um and he sort of realizes that She's not actually a, a lowborn, and she was actually highborn, pretending to be lowborn. Um, and they had that whole discussion about where's she from, and you know what's Rob like, and what do they say about him up north? And that's just everything she's doing there. You know her her one on ones with Charles Dance. Like I think everything about the time that she spends with him is incredible. And then you know after that, obviously the one where she kills 
I mentioned it earlier, the Lannister soldier that stole her sword and killed her friend. Like the episode that ends with her sticking that knife through his neck. I remember at the time reading uh, Alan Sepinwall's recap a couple hours later, and he was like, I don't know why I'm cheering this moment (laughs) of, you know, this innocent little girl becoming like a cold hearted killer. But it was just an incredible moment for her. And that was exactly the way I felt about that. So I think that episode was another. We we talked about it, so we don't have to get into the specifics. I think I named literally every example. But if I wanted to show someone who never watched Game of Thrones what this character is or like or what they encompass, I would just pick the pilot. I think they do such a good job of just establishing that she's an outsider within the framework that everyone is an insider. Um, the problem is that, like, Game of Thrones is a show to me, it's, like, it's hard to even for me to pick, like, favorite episodes because, like, the episode, it, you know, it's such an ensemble cast and all mm-hmm. these things, like, there's never usually an episode where it's, like, it's this character's episode. You know what I mean? Like, there's right. all, like, little parts. So it's hard for me to pick one specific episode. I think The Winds of Winter is also a pretty good one for her. Um, even though we barely actually see Maisie Williams because she's impersonating uh, someone who works for Walter Frey. But that, to me, is a culmination of a, of a separate arc of her becoming a cold-hearted killer. But if I had to pick one episode to be, this is them, this is their character, I would actually go with the pilot. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I also think Winds of Winter might be the one episode that really does belong to one character, and it just belongs to Cersei because like everything about what she does is just a fucking badass. Um, and it's The just first like 20 the, minutes are yeah, peak, it's peak TV. Exactly. And it just, everything about the, the score while that's happening is unbelievable. And it's also just, it's like, the rest of the episode is incredible, obviously, but even still, that whole sequence and everything Cersei does just sort of overshadows anything else that happens in the rest of the episode to the point that I can barely remember a lot of the stuff that happens in the rest of the episode just because that's the episode where Cersei fucking blew up everybody. Um, anyway, would you be friends with Arya and what would your friendship be like? I would say... I hope so, because if I wasn't friends with her, she would probably kill me. Um, but I also think, like, it it depends which version of her. Like, I would say the version of her from season, like, four to seven, it's just impossible to be friends with someone like that. Um, I don't think she would have even wanted any friends. Like, even when she sees Hot Pie, when she goes <laughs> to that bakery, like, yeah. it's pretty clear, like, they're not really friends anymore. Like, she doesn't have friends. But... <laughs> early on and then i hope you know after the run of the show i think we could be friends at that point yeah it's funny when you wrote would you be friends with her in real life i said yes but i don't think she would be friends with me um i will say though i think there's an argument to be made that we we would have a good friendship because i am someone who likes my space um you know i live alone in an apartment and i've done living with friends um in the last couple years like my closest friends and I discovered that I would much rather have my own space and see my friends when I choose to see them. And I think she is someone who's very independent and likes her space as well. Uh, I don't, so I think we would, we have similar type of personalities, except for the fact that I think she would want to be outside and doing shit more often than I would want to do shit. That's true. And would probably rule out anything about me and her being friends too. Um, (laughs) Also, like, she partakes in a lot of physical activities, and, like, my body would just break down. (laughs) You've got knee problems. Yeah, I've got knee problems, hip problems, head problems. Like, I don't think I could survive on the kind of things that she does. Like, I wouldn't be able to walk across all of Westeros. My legs would fall off. Also, again, like, I feel like we should, you know, emphasize this. Like, she is a mass murderer, and I would probably (laughs) be concerned for myself if I actually (laughs) developed... A real friendship with her but I, I do think that real leads us right into like i don't think that there's any 
sort of controversy over like what would Arya be doing right now? Like they pretty clearly establish it at the end of the show. Like she is discovering the world and being a badass and guarding the realm and just doing whatever she wants to do because she's awesome. Like that's it. Yeah. And the only ca- caveat I would add is that and this would be very difficult because she's going to a place where the maps end, right? And no one knows how to reach her. But I think she would come back to Westeros if she found out there was some, like, if there's a war or, like, the North is being threatened, I think she would rush back because she does have that loyalty to her family. And the only reason she feels like she can leave is because she feels as if the realm is at peace there and the North got what they wanted and, and they're in good hands with Sansa. But I think we can probably all agree. And there was a good, I want to say, vulture on the subject by Max Reed uh, about how Westeros is fucked <laughs> with how they leave it. And war is mm-hmm. inevitable because once all everyone sees the North, declare their independence everyone's gonna want their independence so i think that she would probably come back and this is probably bad of me for this is probably bad for me to say bad of me to say but as much as like i'm very much in on the game of thrones prequels that are in development and i will watch all of them and i want them to be good there's a very in at the same time i really want Maisie williams acting career to take off and it hasn't necessarily so far there is a movie on Netflix if people do like Maisie Williams recommend. It's called Then Came You. It's a very like stereotypical coming of age girl has cancer is dying type of story. But she's pretty good in it. But there's a small part of me that hopes that Maisie Williams' career doesn't exactly go as planned. I think it's not unreasonable as much as I like her to think that like most of the characters with rounds are going to have great movies. And there's a part of me that hopes... The Game of Thrones prequels don't exactly live up to Game of Thrones and HBO is stuck with this, you know, this IP that they don't know what to do, that they actually eventually greenlight 10 years from now, Arya West, because I would watch the fuck out of it. Yeah, I think that um, eventually she would discover that the world of Westeros is not flat, it's round, <laughs> and she would eventually work her way back to Westeros Anyway, I also think that if she does discover something out there, she's not just going to stay there. She's going to come back and tell people about it. Like, that's the whole point of her going and exploring and figuring out what's out there is so that something can be done about. So I think that, you know, eventually she would make her way back at some point. I do agree with you. And I would absolutely watch Arya West of Westeros, like, no question. And I think a lot of that is because of Maisie Williams, just like the way that she plays the character. It's like a combination of like confidence and vulnerability at the same time and just like an attitude about her that is unbelievable it's like a very particular mixture um that i think is really hard to pull off and i also think it sort of when you see someone who is able to do that it almost probably makes it hard for you to see them doing anything else and i think that's probably a part of the reason why that her career hasn't necessarily same with same with most of the actors on that show yes uh, you know, obviously, when you're in a property this big, seeing you as anything else is going to be difficult. But that's why, you know, because of the specific characteristics it took to portray Arya, I'm very interested to hear your list of any other actors that could have pulled off that part, whether casting them at the time or casting them now or casting them at some time in the past. So, so the problem with this is, um, it's a tricky question in the sense that. We can't just imagine like actors who are Maisie Williams's age because you have to try to think about what would these actors be like at the age of I mean how old I don't know how old Maisie Williams when the show started she was very young there are very mm. funny photos of all the Stark children <laughs> during season one um, and how young they look so when you asked could anyone else have played them I actually just wrote no and I really think for as much criticism as Game of Thrones has come under in the last year or so 
one of their best qualities is the fact that they nailed all the child actors. Like it's in, and like yes, people have problems with Bran the character and how he developed. I don't think anyone has problems with the with the actor who played Bran. You know, it's not his fault the character was lacking at the end. And I think the fact that they got um, Sophie Turner with Sansa dead on, and I don't know, like Sophie Turner maybe has the best shot or her or Amelia Clark to have a career post Game of Thrones. I feel like in terms of what Hollywood looks like looks for in actresses, but they got that completely right. And her development was right there with Arya's as one of the best. And I think they got Maisie Williams completely right. And like, I'm trying to think of actors who are Maisie Williams age. I mean, she's what 22, 23. Like she was so young when they started the show. I was like trying to think how old is Florence Pugh? Uh, She's 24. So she's right in that age range. I would say maybe Florence Pugh could play it. And like, I just, I mean, I think she's an incredible actress, obviously probably more talented than Maisie Williams. I would guess. And just in terms of her versatility, but in terms of like the character Aria specifically, I think it's very hard to imagine anyone other than Maisie Williams in that role. Even actors who are more talented. I have um, a few Two are like, if you were casting them now and two are like, if you were casting them at the time, um, I think just because of the similarities between the characters that I mentioned earlier, like I think Daisy Ridley could have done it. She's a little bit oh. older, so it would have had to be like uh, you know a few years younger version of her. Like young Daisy Ridley was one that I had on there. Um, I think if you were casting at the same time and you went with a different actress, I think Caitlin Deaver from yeah. Booksmart and Unbelievable yeah. and Justified. Like I first saw her on Justified as Loretta, and she is just unbelievably good on that show and she has that combination same age she has that combination again of like confidence and and like vulnerability and then just in unbelievable which came out last year which is you know pardon the pun an an unbelievable show and looks like extremely emotional she nails everything in that show so i think she would have been really good in this role too i actually funny you mentioned unbelievable i think it's a it's a really good show i actually am not all the way through it because it's such a hard watch Oh yeah, and like I've I've literally watched like one episode and then taken like two months off and watched the next episode because I just can't break, get myself to watch the next one. She's unbelievable and she's really good in Short Term Twelve. I don't know if you've seen yes. that, which is a incredibly stacked movie before all those people blew up. Oh my it's god, unbelievable! Brie Larson, Stephanie Beatriz, Rami Malek, Lakeith <laughs> right. Stanfield, like <laughs> Caitlin Dimmers. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a. Unbe- Unbelievable movie, first of all. Unbelievable cast, second of all. And she is obviously very, very good in it. And Brie Larson, very, very good in it as well. Yeah, it's funny that I just was looking up Florence Pugh, who was the only name I could come up with in a similar age. I guess her brother was in Game of Thrones? I didn't even know she had a brother. I, um, I, I can't but... read this website because I have an ad blocker. Anyway, I do have two other candidates here. And it's more that they are in the age now that if I were casting... Um, Aria, they're probably who I would look at just because I've seen them act well at that young of an age and in roles where they could carry off different parts of Aria's personality. And I'm just like, I'm, if you could combine them into one actress, I think you would have it. Okay. I'm not sure they could each carry off the opposite part, but um, Bella Ramsey, who played Liana Mormont, like I yeah. think she could very much nail the yes. feistiness of Aria. And then Julia Butters from Once Upon a uh. Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Um, could very much nail the the vulnerability and like the quippiness as well. I think she would be uh, a very good choice if you were casting it now. Yeah, I think Julia Butters because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one of my favorite movies probably ever, and I've I just watched it again for the eighth time or whatever. I th- I feel like 
if she was in the role, maybe this is just unfair to her because I've only seen her in one movie when she was in like teens. It would be a much more like comic. Like if Game of Thrones is more leaned more into the comedy and less of like the drama and violence, I think she would be the perfect fit because I think she would the comedy parts better than like. There are a couple funny Arya moments, but like you don't think about that role. Like you don't think of Arya when we're talking about all of her traits. We named so many of them. We never said funny or comical. And I think Julia Butters would bring comedy into. I would say her funny moments are not her being funny on purpose. Yes, they're funny because she's being so serious. It's like her laughing when they heard when she hears her aunt dies. It's like a funny Arya moment. Yeah, or just like you know funny things that she says, whether it's you know with the Hound or Brienne or anybody else. Like she's not necessarily being funny, but it is funny that she's doing she's doing but you know it's it's obviously incredibly difficult to recast like such an iconic role when thinking in the past or thinking right now but you know i i do try to come up at least with uh with some for each for each time that we're doing this um last question here could the show exist without her and you know for me i said that in theory yes just because there are so many other Mm -hmm. characters in the show that you presumably could find someone else to fulfill, you know, similar functions. Um, but it would not be good if it did. Yeah, that's what I said. It's like a show like Game of Thrones was not dependent on Arya Stark. Uh, there are so many other good characters if you're looking at all eight scenes like Tyrion. There's so many other rootable characters that you would, if you're an Arya fan like me, you would just invest in other characters probably. But to your point, as you were saying that, I was just thinking, like, if you remove, and I, again, I defend season eight more than others, and I it's very flawed, and I have problems with it, but I defend it more than others. But if you look at season eight, and seven probably, and you remove all the Arya stuff, and just look at everything else, I would probably severely dislike it all. It's <laughs> the Arya stuff for me, and that makes me be very sympathetic towards season seven and eight, my two least favorite scenes of game of Thrones, but ones, ones I still like, and ones that I still rewatch from time to time. Uh, because Arya for me is the only character they didn't completely botch in those seasons. And if you remove that from those last two seasons, Oh man, I would be just like the rest of you on Twitter calling it. <laughs> I think that realistically in game of Thrones, there's probably only one character that the show couldn't work without Danny. on. No, I was going to say Ooh. Cersei. Just oh. because she drives essentially every action in the show with her decision making and her like motivation to keep power at all costs. That story is what drives everything else in the show. Like if you didn't have Danny, like you still have what, twenty seven people coming for Cersei's crown? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so much that comes from what Cersei does and what Cersei wants. Like, if you think about it, like everything that happens with Bran and thus the Lannister Stark war is because essentially Cersei makes Jaime, uh, push Bran out the window. The only reason they're there in the first place is because the previous hand of the King died, which was because of Cersei and Jaime having sex with each other. Like everything she does to, you know, keep Joffrey on the throne, everything she does to sort of undermine Tommen's rule, everything she does, you know, with, uh, you know, trying to get back uh, on her father, like everything, like she is the driving force essentially of the, she's not necessarily like the main character or the hero in any way, but her motivation is what's driving most of the action. And I just don't know how it works without her, but everybody else, I think you could sort of replace their function within the show. Like, I guess theoretically you could have Jamie replace Cersei, but then Jamie's whole function in the story is completely different. And I think it also works better just if it's like 
I, th- I think it works better if it's a woman doing in that role, just like because she's using her like Jamie could do it with physicality. Cersei has to do it using other things. Um, so I think it, it works better that way. It's I. It's funny. I've rewatched the show countless times, and I've read the books and all that. And I've never considered what you're saying about how like Cersei's a driving behind so many of the things. And I, and I actually think I would have to think about it longer. But like as you're saying it, I agree with everything that you're saying. And uh, and like not to mention her impact on like Sansa, who like hated her, um, <laughs> but like later in the season she has a begrudging respect toward. Um, and Sansa, by the way, like by the end of the show is essentially like Cersei North. She's not like <laughs> yes. as terrible of a person, but she conducts herself in essentially she exactly the her. same way. She was like her mentor. In a- yeah, absolutely. It's She learned from Cersei as much as Arya learned from the Hound. While we're talking about Sansa and, and, and Arya, when we're talking about the, like, can anyone else play her? I really do think uh, Maisie Williams and Sophie Turner and how they like, I don't think it was, like, a choice of them to be like, oh, we got to weaponize social media. But, like, the way that their friendship played out on social media, Mm -hmm. I think, actually really helped the show and, like, helped younger fans, like, you know, in our demographic or even younger than us, kind of gravitate towards them because they really did develop this genuine friendship that was fun to, like, watch on social media. And, like, one of my favorite memories, to be honest, of the show is, like, after the Red Wedding, Maisie Williams put out... I think it was a Vine. This was back when Vine was alive. And it was, you would have to like find the video, but it was her like talking about how her mother and brother are dead. Um, And like, I remember that being like funny, like social at the time. And I think that like those two, having those two develop a genuine friendship off when they rarely shared screen time after season one, I think actually helped the show and helped those two actors. Yeah. I remember that. I don't don't remember if it was a Vine, but I do remember that, that video that you're talking about. And I also remember, uh, the two of them doing like a it was like sort of like a modified carpool karaoke and they were doing um i like big butts uh <laughs> sir mix a lot and they were like screaming out the window they were like becky <laughs> becky like um it was really really funny anyway do you have uh anything else on aria before i let you go um i wrote down a couple of my favorite quotes of hers and I, we already said it but i think anyone can be killed is probably her best quote to Tywin. Just helped sum up the show very well and summed up everything, her like transformation at such a young age. Uh, and the last thing I would say, since we are on a podcast, if there was two famous people I could get to have a podcast that I would listen to every single day, it would be probably Maisie Williams and Sophie. I would absolutely listen. And I would hope that, I would assume like if you're listening to this podcast, the two of us talking about Arya Stark for whatever it is, like close to an hour and a half, I would assume that you're, you would probably listen to that too. Um, anyway, Sean, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. I mean, look, man, I do this in my spare time. I just do it aloud in my apartment to myself and my neighbor upstairs who's probably doing a podcast on a Saturday when I oh right I forgot about your neighbor I, I you know I just do it for my dog he's a very captive audience who's Bodie. You know, not I, looking at me at all right now and his name is Bodie right not, yes you named him after a Rogue One character good for you no I named him <laughs> after a character from The Wire and at some point I am going to talk about Bodie on this podcast because he is my favorite character in TV history and that's why I named my dog after him. When you but, do Kevin Garvey, please invite me back. Oh, Kevin Garvey. What a great character, too. The oh. leftovers. I'm binging so much stuff right now, but nothing will ever match the feeling that I got binge watching The Leftovers when my therapist was on vacation two summers ago. <laughs> um, what a decision that was. Uh, anyway, Sean, again, thank you so much. Everybody, thank you so much for listening, and we will be back with another episode next week.